and it's John chapter 12. And we'll be reading from verses 1 to 11. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you here today. And it's you we worship God. It's the name of Jesus we lift up. And Lord God, we we leave everything else behind. And we pray that in the name of Jesus today we would experience that new life. We'd experience that forgiveness of sins. We'd experience the freedom to worship you, Lord. Thank you that we are in a place today where we have freedom. Freedom to worship you. It's a wonderful privilege, Lord, and a privilege not afforded everybody in this world today. And Lord, we thank you for the safety that we have in this place. And we pray for those who have been in places that would be persecuted today for their faith in you. That you would protect them and guard them and help them to find the places, Lord, where they can safely praise the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord God, that praise comes from the heart. Worship comes from the heart. It's a meaningful thing. And it's something we can do whether we're in a gathering like this or whether we're an individual in our home, quietly or out loud, Lord. And we pray that you would help us to understand more about that aspect of worship today as we would come to this particular scripture passage, Lord. We pray that you would speak to us by the power of your spirit. We pray, Lord, if there would be any that wouldn't have the full experience of knowing that new life of Jesus, that you would just unlock it today, Lord, and reveal it, it to them today. And help us all, Lord, to more deeply understand all the fullness of the blessing and the power available to everybody who would trust in Jesus. And we thank you for this, Lord God, and we just pray that you would speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 12. Today's message is called New Life. New Life. And if you turn to John chapter 12, where actually, as I was studying this, God um, just keep challenging me to go back to the previous chapter as well. So that's why I've asked for you to have your, your Bibles, but in particular, open at the pages, because we'll be referring a wee bit back into chapter 11 as well, for some context. So just looking at the first couple of verses, I just want to think about this first point, that Jesus Christ brings new life. Jesus Christ brings new life. If you look at verse 1, you'll see a wee bit of context here. At this point in time, it was six days before the Passover festival, which is a celebration three times a year. There was Jewish festivals that people were required to come to and to celebrate and to worship God. And this was one of them. So lots of people were making their way to Jerusalem for this Passover festival. And Jesus was also making his way to the Passover festival. And also... He was making his way to the cross at Calvary because during that time of the Passover festival was the very time when Jesus knew he was going in there to pay the price and pay the sacrifice for our sins. So that's the the context of what we're thinking about there. Six days before these events happened, before the Passover. So Jesus was on his way there and he arrives at a place called Bethany. You know, I love that name and I'd actually said to Nicola, maybe if we had another child we could call her Bethany if it was a girl. Um, my, my, that's a wee personal note there but it's not happening I don't think because my brother had a, a wee girl called Beth and I was like that's uh, a bit close there I think that name's out but I've always loved the name Bethany it's a place where great things have happened and you read in the scriptures these wonderful events there's more than one I'll not get into them today there's a wee challenge go and search the bible for the accounts of Bethany but it's mentioned quite a few times um, and it's a lovely name now this is where Lazarus lived. Ever heard of Lazarus? Lazarus lived in Bethany. Now if you just read chapter 12, uh, the first couple of verses there, and you didn't read the context of it, you'd be saying, well, 
So what? You know, Lazarus lived in Bethany. But Lazarus had died just a short time earlier and was buried and was dead for four days. So the statement, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, is a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Jesus Christ brings new life. See, Jesus had came along and as a demonstration of his power, you know, Jesus worked mighty miracles and miracles still happen today, folks. Miracles haven't ceased. We see healings. We see demonstrations of God's power. We see his presence, evidence, and things like what we've been talking about today where people know God is there. We see peace that passes understanding when people go through trials and we pray. That's a miracle, isn't it? A miracle of physical strength. When there is no strength, God gives strength. It's impossible. We find answers to prayer, whether it's for our children, for our families, for our friends, and we see God answering and bringing new life. Isn't it true? New life, we baby there. We're praying, praying for that baby too. And, you know, God answers prayer. God answers prayer. And God is in the business of bringing about new life. And the thing is, that when Lazarus was dead, there was a hopelessness there. There was a hopelessness in the whole area. Lazarus knew Jesus, trusted in him. His sisters Mary and Martha knew Jesus, trusted in him, knew who he was. Knew he was the Messiah who was coming. We read that in the scriptures. Knew all about him. Knew that he'd done all these miracles, but they faced a tragedy. And that their brother had died. Now I would point out that in these circumstances, God is not always going to answer in a way in which he answered like Lazarus. But I do believe God was bringing a very deep point out. See, sometimes to get things into my thick skill, (laughs) God has to really do something amazing. Visually amazing. To prove that what he's speaking about is true. Now, we shouldn't really need that, shouldn't we not? Because, really, if God says something, Jesus is God, and if he says it, we really should just believe it. But you and me, we're human, and we have a lack of faith and a lack of ability sometimes just to realize that that's what, what's being said is actually true. And that's where miracles so often carry, they're carrying a deeper meaning so that it will increase our faith to believe God for things in our own life. So, remember Jesus said this whole thing with Lazarus dying, people didn't understand it. And Jesus said, this is going to bring glory to my father. This is going to bring glory. What did he mean by that? Well, when he stood there, a a tomb with a man dead for four days in it, and all people round about were thinking, this is impossible. There's no one that can help. There's no no hope in this situation. The the, The thing's dead. And Jesus said... Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, you know, walked out of that grave. He walked out of the grave, totally restored. Now, I want to challenge us today. While that might not happen, physically, people coming back to life in many occasions in our life, does it not demonstrate to us, with God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. So when we pray to God for a bit of circumstance, it seems impossible, it seems totally hopeless, it seems like there's no hope. It just takes God to speak a word into the situation, to bring life into it. Amen? It just takes God to speak into a situation. Lazarus, come forth. And maybe we're praying for a family member and we're saying, God, this situation is bad. A word from the Lord. Lazarus, come forth. It's only God that can bring new life, isn't it? You know, I mentioned young Stuart there, and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me mentioning him. But that's new life from God. It's only God that can bring new life. Bring an understanding. Bring an understanding. 
And we're taught in the Bible that although we're not physically dead today, we may feel it at times, but we're not, we're not that we're spiritually dead before we come to faith in Jesus. We're born spiritually dead because of what happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God and, and the relationship with God was broken. So while that was not God's, what God wanted for us to be out of relationship with him, that's what actually happens. And even when we're born, we're born into a sinful nature. We're born in, into separation from God. And one of the lovely things we can do for, for our children as well, as no doubt I'll be doing shortly, is praying for our children. That they at a young age will come to faith in Jesus Christ. That they will know that new life at an early stage in their, in their natural life. Because it's only God that can bring new life. And when he would forgive us, when we put our trust in Jesus, we're connected to him. We are given life. We are forgiven for our sins. We're like, spiritually speaking, we all start off like Lazarus in the grave. And we need a saviour. And here's, here's another thing, and I think this is a beautiful thing. And, we, and also remember this, God is a God of justice. And I do not believe that God doesn't call everyone's name out. I believe God would call everybody's name. And at some point in our life, and probably many times throughout our life, we would hear God calling out our name and say, where are you? I'm calling out to you. Come out. I've got life for you. I've got a future for you. But there has to be a response. Lazarus came forth. Do we see the illustration there of new life? And it, yes, it's a very, very dramatic illustration. It's a powerful miracle. But it's to demonstrate with God, nothing is impossible. And that God wants to bring dead things back to life. He wants to bring life. Uh, so where we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we're born in that way. That is not the way God wants it to stay. He wants us to experience new life. Amen? Isn't that good news? And it shouldn't just be Easter time that we're thinking about life. The fact that there is new life in Christ, we should be thinking about it all the time. But this miracle was so dramatic and so huge that the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders of the day, were plotting to kill Jesus. You know why they were doing that? Because so many people saw these miracles and they put their trust in Jesus because they knew that only God can do things like that. It's only God that can do things like that. So they're panicking all the religious structure of the day, panicking and plotting to kill Jesus. So we're in Bethany, six days before the Passover, and the context of all that's just happened there, we're now here at a dinner given for Jesus in Jesus' honour because of who he is and what he's done. Mary and Martha were there, just ordinary people like you and I, just ordinary people. Mary and Martha are sisters of Lazarus. And they were both there when this wonderful miracle happened. Can you imagine? I can't quite imagine what it would have been like. But there's Mary and Martha, both present during this wonderful miracle. <coughs> so Martha was there. I can envisage it. It's like somebody in the coffee house there. Martha, Martha's serving dinner, selflessly serving. Serving the Lord comes in many ways. And we're thinking about that today. Think about serving the Lord. Many ways. We can serve tables and we can do it for ourselves. Or we can serve tables and we can do it for Jesus. Interesting when in the Acts of the Apostles, if you read the, the early church, the elders of the church uh, said that we are going to devote ourselves to prayer and to preaching of the word. And then they said, let's appoint spiritual people to the role of deacon. 
And those people will serve tables. And they will minister to people in the practical needs. They were looking after the poor and the widows. They were serving food and meals to people. But it's interesting, the emphasis there was appoint those full of the Holy Spirit. Those who are spiritual to do that work. And that's where I would encourage us all. Whatever God's given us to do, we have to do it by the power of His Spirit and for His glory. Because that's when miracles happen. That's when we, we're really serving Jesus. And what I spoke about earlier on about what happened last week is evidence of that here. In this place. Where because we are serving, not just serving tables for ourselves or for our own benefit, but serving people and serving tables because we love Jesus. And that's a powerful thing. There are people there that would be coming to faith as a result of this. This was the type of evangelism. We use that word a lot, don't we? Evangelism. And sometimes we'll have an event. But you know the best form of evangelism? Friendship. Evangelism. Serving others is a demonstration of our love for the Lord. And it's the most powerful thing we can do. We can invite people to an event all we like, but it doesn't speak half as much as being kind to someone. Smiling at someone. Showing your love and compassion for somebody. And that's really what the church is all about. This is the example we're given from Jesus. So Martha was serving the dinner, putting her her gift to good use. And Lazarus is sitting there. A a walking miracle sits down next to Jesus, alive and well, looking forward to his dinner. (laughs) The same meal is mentioned in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. There's a totally different account mentioned in Luke. Uh, Most scholars would agree on that, so don't get confused by that. We believe that's a different account, but there's very... The, the same account seems to be relayed in Matthew and Mark, those other Gospels. And the house that we're in is actually the house of Simon the leper. Simon the leper. Now, in those days, lepers were outcasts of society. People who were absolutely put out of the town and nobody was to touch them. They were untouchable in many, many ways, but they were just seen as second class citizens and don't go near them. Where are they sitting? With Jesus. With Lazarus. They're in the house of Simon the leper. Now it doesn't actually say what happened to Simon the leper. But I would imagine with all the miracles that Jesus was performing at this time. Showing his power. That Simon the leper probably wasn't a leper anymore. But regardless of that he certainly must have known Jesus. And that's the most important thing isn't it? It's the most important thing. Do we know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour? So that that would say to us as well. As we're serving we don't exclude anybody. Nobody's excluded. Our society would paint the picture where we only talk to certain people. We only allow certain people through our doors. And there's certain stigmas and things. But again, I would just say, and I would encourage us here to, the doors are open. And whoever it would be that comes in, we would treat them as God would treat them. Which is we love them. Because Christ loved them and died for them. And that's maybe not an easy thing when people come in with all sorts of difficulties and and problems. But I also praise God we've got counsellors in this fellowship. We've got people who are gifted to speak to people. We've got people who are gifted to get alongside and just pray for someone. That's what the church is all about. That's what the church is all about. No exclusions. God loves everybody. So this is a very powerful scene, this dinner, isn't it? And it's a scene that shows Jesus brings new life to people in so many different ways. Lazarus was dead just a short time before this, but now there he is, sitting down, alive and well, enjoying a meal. What a miracle. And it should encourage us today to believe in God for miracles. Believe in him for impossible situations where the world says, or neighbours or friends or family say, this is finished this time. It's done. It's dead. 
I would challenge us today to believe that things are not going to remain dead because Jesus brings new life. And it's only through faith in Jesus that we'll experience that new life. I don't know what that will mean for you, but I'm, I'm very sure today that God will be speaking directly into situations that you'd be facing that you would think are dead. And he'd be challenging us to pray and trust God for life to be brought into the situation again. In Jesus' name. So there's a deeper meaning. We'll just focus on that just for, for a minute or two. A deeper meaning that this miracle is highlighting to us. If you turn back to chapter 11 and verse 23, Jesus is having a conversation with Martha. And this is while Lazarus is in the tomb, he's in the grave. And Jesus came along and it's four days after Lazarus has died. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, does this passage not show us that Martha had been listening to Jesus' teaching? She'd been listening closely to it. And she knew that Jesus was the coming Messiah. And who was the Messiah? The Messiah was the one that was going to come to pay the price for the sins of the world. To be the saviour of the world. The one who we could believe in and be saved. She also knew the teaching and Jesus spoke about it. And other teachers in the Old Testament spoke about a future day. In which all believers will be raised to new life. And be given new bodies. And there's... Praise the Lord for that. Any amens to that? Amen. You know, the, the, the scripture clearly teaches that our physical bodies wear away. And eventually all of us. But there's a promise of new life. Actually, eternal life is there for everybody, whether they believe in Jesus or not. The problem is, we can either live eternally in hell, or we live eternally in heaven. That is the two positions that we can live eternally in. Actually, in, in a very true sense, our spiritual selves never die. But there is a determining point, where is it that we will go after we die physically? And what I would also challenge is, is I would say that God loves everybody. And God doesn't want people to end up in hell. I believe that with all my heart. I've got scriptures to back that up. There are, there are clear scriptures saying that God doesn't want people to be lost. I've already mentioned earlier on that I would believe by God's spirit he's speaking to people. Whether it's through conversations or in churches like this or whatever calling people out but people have a choice to make we've all got a choice I made a choice at 7 years old that I didn't want to go to be lost in hell that I realised Jesus loved me and I simply asked him to forgive me for my sins and come into my life and at age 7 he did and he's been in my life ever since and I'm not perfect and no Christian is perfect but we've experienced forgiveness from sins which is new life isn't it it's new life when we trust in Jesus I'm, I'm emphasising this point but it's so important we, can, we don't just need to know the facts about Jesus we need to believe them and we need to receive them there was a lot of people who would have seen Lazarus raised from the dead that day but how many believed in Jesus there were some who did and there were some who didn't there's a choice we make isn't there we either identify that God is the truth the way, the truth and the life or we don't so I would just challenge us to really, if we haven't really been sure about that choice, to really think about that today. Martha made the right choice. She said, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And that, that is the access into the kingdom of God. 
I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God who came into the world to save us. Isn't that good? So Jesus is saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Understand the deeper meaning to this miracle. It's me that brings resurrection. It's me that brings new life. And people that believe in Jesus, even though we die physically, we go on to eternal life. There's going to be a new heaven, and a new earth, and new bodies. And everybody who's ever trusted in Jesus will meet again. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's like, this is the truth. This is the absolute truth that brings us great comfort when we think about those that we love who have passed away. And we think, I'm going to see them again. So if we trust in Jesus, in a very real sense, our relationship with him is never broken. We pass through from physical life into eternal life. And what Jesus describes in his prayer for us that we're never, we never come out of his hand. So would that bring a comfort to us? Remember, when Lazarus died, there was great grief. And that's natural. That's a natural thing. It says there in the, the grave of Lazarus that Jesus wept. And there's many interpretations of what that might have meant. But I would suggest strongly to you that Jesus, with his compassion and his love, would have felt that. The sting of that death, that loss of somebody that passed away. But you know what? Jesus knew more than that. Jesus knew that that wasn't the end. The physical demonstration of Lazarus being raised from the dead is just to help us believe. It's to help you and I to believe the, the deeper meaning. That when we receive Jesus as our resurrection in life, that we will never die. That although we enter into a grave, we come out the other side. I understood that, praise the Lord, at seven years old. I had fa family that believed in Jesus and shared it with me. and That was a great blessing. And we can give our hearts to Jesus at absolutely any age. The sooner the better, obviously, because we never know what's happening tomorrow. It's a really encouraging truth to, to myself. I trust it would be for you today. And a great comfort, as well as we think about those whom we love to have passed away. So Jesus went to the cross. And we'll be thinking over the next couple of weeks as we go through Easter about the unfolding of that. Next week's Palm Sunday. And we'll be continuing to think about Jesus' triumphal entry. As he came in, what a thought. Jesus came into Jerusalem knowing that he would die. Knowing that he would face great punishment and death. You know why he came in? Because he loves you and me. Because he saw through time and history. And he saw every single person that would ever live and he loved them. And for the joy set before him, as the scriptures teach... <coughs> He set his face like a flint and went on towards that cross so that we could experience new life. We sang there, from the, from the earth to the cross, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. That was the motion of what Jesus was going through. And the, the image we saw of Lazarus was a, a picture of something much more wonderful that was just about to happen. And as I close, and the, Mary came to the feet of Jesus and I just want to highlight her response to Jesus here because she came to Jesus and she poured out an oil light perfume called nard and she poured it on his feet it was a very high priced item worth about a year's worth of wages in that day I want to just focus on this is our appropriate response today to such a wonderful saviour what she's doing there is she's recognising Jesus is number one. Jesus is number one. Because of who he is, and because of what he's done. And she gave of her best, and when we come to church, some people say, I never got a lot out of church today. But the Bible would challenge us, what did we give today? Because part of our service to the Lord is our, 
It's, it's all worship, you know. What does the word worship mean? It means whatever I give, I give it to Jesus. I give it, I'm doing it for him. The word worship means bending down and reverencing. Bowing down and reverencing. There's a kind of humble, there's a humble posture about that when I'm serving. Maybe it's serving a table. Maybe it's serving someone else. Another situation that I face. It's bowing down and worship before our Lord and Saviour because he's, he's number one. And while it might not be a year's worth of wages that we're, we're giving, although giving gifts, practical gifts, is a good thing to do, obviously, for the Lord. We give our best to God. Amen? We give our best. There are people here in this church, praise the Lord, you give your best. And we should do it more and more. We're doing it for him. We give him our best. We give him everything we've got. And there's Judas saying, in the background, the one that would betray me, saying, oh, that's, that's a waste, that gift to Jesus. But really, he was only interested because he stole money from the money bag from the church. So he was being selfish, whereas Mary was being unselfish. Judas was being selfish. She was being unselfish. She was saying, what I have, I'm going to give everything to Jesus because of who he is and because of what he's done for me. But Jesus says, she's done a beautiful thing to me. That's in the other couple of passages. It's not actually, that word isn't in the, the John passage, but the other two parallels. It is a beautiful thing to worship the Lord and to put him first. And everybody around you notices it. Everybody notices it, especially the Lord. And the Lord defended Mary's actions. She's done a beautiful thing for me. Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for, my, for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, Jesus is not saying it's not good to give to the poor. In fact, as I've said earlier on, the, the early disciples and church always gave to the poor. It was a focus that they had. They were constantly meeting the needs. We sang earlier on the feeding of the 5,000. One example of Jesus having compassion and looking after the needs of people. It's not what the point is here. This is about giving Jesus our best. About bowing down and giving him his rightful place in our lives. He's the Lord of our lives. And I, I don't know if Mary fully under, understood the full meaning of what she was doing. But this is really, really critical here. This is one week before Jesus is going to be dying on a cross. Is going to be placed inside a, a tomb. And Jesus says, she's preparing me for my burial. She's preparing me for my burial. And just the, the, the bit that made me smile a wee bit was just the context of this. Because this is the same Mary preparing her Lord and Saviour for the burial that was standing by a graveside four days after her brother had died. Just a short time earlier. And no doubt, I was actually just thinking, Mary and Martha must have done the same thing for their brother. For some reason that came to my mind. But they would have, that would have been a normal thing to do to have anointed a body at burial time. So is this not a, such a deep act of gratitude that Mary's giving? And little, maybe she didn't understand the fullness of it, but Jesus said elsewhere in the uh, Gospels, we read the account, he says, wherever the Gospel is told, this act of devotion that Mary has done will be spoken about as well. <laughs> That's quite something, isn't it? What people said was a waste of effort. Jesus says, no, it's not a waste. Because she's done it for me, because she's given me her best, they're going to talk about this all the way through the generations because of this wonderful act of worship. And that's what it's like. We might think when we're serving God, nobody notices. But they do. They do notice. And we've heard about it even today, haven't we? 
as God's highlighted to us, people do notice. People are reaping the benefits. People are talking about it because it's not the normal state of affairs to worship God in that way and to serve in this way. So just a challenge for us all today, myself included, that Jesus brings new life. Have we experienced that? If we haven't, we can experience it even today. And our natural response is to worship the Lord, which means serving Him, giving Him our best. And it will have great results. It will be talked about for a long, long time. Because it's something that's genuine. It's something that's done for Jesus. And, and just as a wee last thought, new life and real worship attracts more new life. And at the end of the passage, you read in verse 9 to 11, it says, A large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So new life attracts new life. When people find out about it, when people hear your testimony and you say, Jesus has forgiven me my sins, it's new, it's real. In a simple way, when we share that with other people, other people want it. They want to experience that same new life. And a challenge for us, again, as Christians, is to maintain that, to continue to go and to speak to people and to share with people the love of Jesus. And that could be as simple but as deep as giving of our best, whatever it is that we're doing. That's a challenge for us, whatever workplace we're in, whatever household we're in. And please know that I'm speaking to myself today. (laughs) These messages are very challenging to myself.